Hey, what's up, everyone? You are on the Eden Podcast, and we are so glad that you're here. I hope that the next 30 minutes will help you to become the person that God always dreamed you could be. Let's get started. Hey, what's up, everyone? I want to welcome all of you who are joining us online today. It's so good to be here with you. If you're part of the Eden family, as always, we want you to know we have so much love for you. Thank you for staying engaged over the last several weeks. During this time, it means so much that we get to journey through this together. We also want to give a shout out to those of you who are joining us for the very first time. We're so pumped that you decided to be a part of the conversation during our Church at Home experience. We're hoping and praying that it is a meaningful one for you. My name is Daniel. I'm the lead pastor here at Eden Church, and we are all about helping people become all that God dreamed they could be. Because at the heart of this community, we really believe that God has a purpose and a plan for your life, and we want to help you to lean into that in so many ways. It's not that we have arrived, but what we're realizing is that if we go on the journey of faith together, we get a lot further. And so that's what we're all about here at Eden Church. Today, I'm so pumped that we get to begin a brand new series of messages called Summer Playlist. Last year, my family and I went on our very first summer family vacation. And when we did, my wife put together this amazing, amazing playlist. And it was a bunch of different types of songs from different genres. And when we would make wake up in the morning and we'd start driving, whatever we felt like fit the mood of the context that we were in, we would play that song. And so in this series, we're going to take some time to begin addressing some of the things that our church is responding to, some of the things that are happening in our culture, and have conversations about them from God's Word. And so we're really excited about this series. Now, I don't know about you, but we are obviously living in some crazy times. And I feel like every week is a reminder that we're living in a time and in a world and in circumstances that no one in our generation has ever experienced before. And I think that it's okay for us to remind ourselves of that reality every now and then because it helps me to give alignment to how I'm feeling about everything. Yesterday I went to the mall for the first time in a very long time and every single person in the mall was wearing a mask. There were lines outside every single store and there were just a handful of people that were actually shopping. The mall was relatively empty and and it was just this reminder to me that we are now living in a brand new normal. We're living in a world that in a very short amount of time had to deal with all the disruption that came with COVID-19. We had to deal with all the tension that's coming from the conversation around racial injustice in our country. There are so many of us that are looking ahead to the fall at the elections, and we're beginning to brace ourselves for the political lines that we know are going to be drawn during that time. And it's just this really, really crazy time. And I think that all of us on some level probably have a disagreement about any one of those issues with nearly every person that is in our sphere of influence. And the problem with all of this is that we don't have a lot to distract us from our disrupted world, right? We're not going on vacations. There's no sports to be watched. There's All of us have probably binge-watched Netflix and Amazon, and we're getting so desperate that we're starting to watch the shows on Amazon that have three-star ratings and five reviews right? That's how desperate we are. We have nothing to distract us. And so the uniqueness about this time and in this moment in history is that we are left living in the tension of our disrupted world. I wonder how many of you have had to unfriend some people in the last month. 
And some of you are not raising your hand because you're sneaky, right? You know that you don't have to unfriend someone. You don't want them to know that you're tired of listening to the content that they're putting out. And so you just mute their comments and you don't have to ever have to hear about it and they will know no difference. There are some of you that have had to unfollow some people in your life. Some of you have even probably considered leaving the church because of the conversations that we've been having over the last several weeks. Others of you have been considering leaving the church because of the conversations that we're not having. And I think that we are living in this world right now where there is such a high potential for division. And I think that many of us, myself included, are asking the question, is it even possible to have unity in the middle of adversity? This morning, we're going to talk a little bit about it, and I want to pray before we get started in our conversation. God, we need you to give us boldness. God, we need you to give us wisdom and unity in this moment for our church and for our community, because those things are not of our nature. They are of yours. And so, God, we're praying that you would fill us with your peace, the peace that goes beyond anything that we can understand. We love you, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. And so this morning, we're going to be looking in the New Testament, which if you've never grown up in church or that's not been a part of your rhythm uh, in life, the New Testament is just the second half of the Bible, and it's the part of the Bible that talks about the life of Jesus and the development of the early church. There are these things called uh, Gospels. They're just these mini biographies about Jesus' life. And then the other part talks about how the early church grew and expanded in the first century. And today we're going to be looking at the book of Acts, which was written by a guy named Luke, who was a physician. He was a doctor. He was a historian. He was this brilliant, brilliant uh, writer. And he details the movement of the early church and the way that he details it is beginning with really the end of the story of Jesus' life. Jesus ascends into heaven and he empowers his people, the disciples, to lead the ministry. And his disciples are, are then now beginning to experience firsthand the level of pressure that Jesus felt all throughout his ministry. And we read that as they go out and they perform miracles and they give hope to the community around them, that they're starting to experienced some of the pushback from the religious leaders in that community. And, and we see that after they're arrested and sent to jail, they begin praying for God to give them boldness to continue to do what God has called them to do, to continue to lean into, into the purpose and the calling that God had created for them. And so this is where we pick up this morning in Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 36. It says, all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, and so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one apostle, the, the, one the apostles named Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and bought and brought the money to the apostles. Now, if you've grown up in church and you've ever wrestled or examined this passage at any length, what I'm about to say may sound a little bit controversial because I, I actually think that this passage has more to do with the unity of the church than the generosity from the church. And that's not typical. Even in my own Bible, 
the subheading says that the believers shared their possessions as if that was the main focus of the passage. And I think that a lot of people look at this passage and they focus on the generosity because it really is this beautiful description of the culture and the heart of this church that they would sell their possessions, they would sell their land and their homes so that they could provide for the people who were tied to this community that were in need. And I think what was so beautiful about the generosity that was being demonstrated in this community is that we're beginning to see that this community saw the needs of the people around them as more important than their own status, more important than their personal bank account, more important than their own level of comfort. And it really is interesting to think about where the generosity came from. If you look at the sequence of Luke's writing, he says that they were united and then they were generous. They weren't generous so that they would then become united. Generosity was the byproduct that flowed out of their unity with one another. And I think that's a really important distinction because it tells us that generosity is what comes out of deeply connected relationships. And the way that Luke describes the unity, he says it was a unity of heart and a unity of mind. Cardia is the Greek word for heart and it's referring to your passion and your, your cause, your purpose. And then when it talks about the mind, it's the word psyche, yourself, your will, your motivation. Maybe some of you have heard some of the young people in our culture use the phrase, ride or die. I realize it sounds violent, but it's in reference to close relationships, right? Ride or die means to be united in heart and mind. Your ride and die people are these people in your life who you can feel with and who will go with you wherever you go. And that's what Luke was saying about this early church community. They were united in heart and mind to the point where they were sacrificially generous to one another. And what makes this statement so powerful is to understand the context in which it was happening. Because it was not easy for them to remain in unity given the unique circumstances that they were living in. They were living in the middle of deep persecution. I know that there are some of us today that feel limited because of shelter in place, right? You can't go to the beach when you want to go to the beach, even though there are still some of you going to the beach, but you, you feel limited and, and that can be frustrating. But imagine living in a culture where your religious beliefs were being attacked to the point where you were arrested, you were being imprisoned, you were being physically threatened, you were leading this movement that the rest of the culture that had yet to awaken to. That's what this group was living in. They were painstakingly pushing against the grain of their culture. And there was a lot of adversity in their life that probably caused a lot of stress. They were probably feeling overwhelmed and pressured and tired. And I don't know about you, but if anyone in this group was like me when you feel overwhelmed, stressed, pressured, or tired, there were probably so many different opportunities to lash out at people and cause division. Not only was there adversity and persecution in their life, but they were living in a really diverse community economically. There were some people who had a lot, and there were some people who had very little. And one thing that we know about culture throughout history is that economic disparity has been one of the strongest segregators of people in any culture at any time. And you and I know this firsthand, right? Most of us hang out with people who are in similar income brackets that we are. Because when you are in a similar income bracket, you have more in common with those people. Why? Because you're going to the same stores and buying the same thing. 
You are sending your kids to the same school. You're eating the same type of organic food on avocado toast that everyone else is eating. You're going on the same vacation. You're posting the same pictures to Instagram. That is what happens in, in, in our world is that we tend to gravitate toward people who are in similar income brackets. And what happens with a community of people that are living together, but there's economic disparity, is that you have people with very different life experiences. And there were so many opportunities in the early church and in this moment to be divided because of their differences. But what is so beautiful is that they didn't get distracted by adversity. They didn't get distracted by their differences because I think that in a sense they had a very clear vision of what God hoped for this community. Look at what Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 23, as he was praying. He says, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Unity in the church was evidence that Jesus was from God. And in a sense, it was this divine characteristic that when it was expressed in our world, it was a sign that this church was not just some random movement in the world that was trying to fight for a good cause, but it was this divine movement that was being pushed forward by the Spirit of God. And that was showcased and exampled in their unity with one another. I think it's really important for us to note that to Jesus, unity did not equal conformity. Sometimes we think that if we're going to be united with other people, if we're going to be in community with other people, that means that we've got to think the way they think and talk the way they talk and dress the way they dress. But never at any point did Jesus ever envision a country club as his church. In fact, what was so beautiful in this time that made the church so distinct from almost every other culture is that there was unity in the middle of diversity that they were diverse and yet they were somehow united with one another. And honestly, that is one of the things that I love so much about our community. If we were to show every face that was viewing online right now, we would see a group of very diverse people. Our staff alone represents cultures from Africa and from India and Central America and Asia and North America. We, we are a diverse church and it's beautiful, but we're not just diverse in our ethnic background but we're also diverse in our experiences. And so the challenge that we face is that right now, given the unique set of circumstances that we are living in as a community of faith, there are so many opportunities for us to be divided. And so the question then, is it even possible for us in this community to have unity in the midst of diversity, unity in the middle of so much adversity in our world? Here's what I think it's going to take if we as a community are going to be united in the middle of all this. Number one, we have to get our foundation right. Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Everyone who then hears these words of mine, Jesus is speaking, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and it was a great fall. Sustained unity only happens when we build our life on the rock 
of Jesus. That is the only way that a church withstands a storm in culture. It is not built on politics. It's not built on power. It's not built on clout. It's not built on money. It's not built on a movement. It's not built on people. It is only built, it only stands when it's built on the rock of Jesus. And I think that you are beginning to understand, like all of us are beginning to understand, is that when a storm comes in our culture, when it comes in our life, the things that we thought were strong may not be as strong as we thought that they were. The things that we thought were going to be stable may not be as stable as we, we thought they were. Some of your relationships right now, are real, you're realizing, are not as strong as you thought they were. Your job may not be as secure as you thought it was going to be. Your money may not be as secure as you thought it was going to be. And that's why Jesus tells these people that if you're going to build your life on anything, build it on the rock of the hope that you have in me. And that is because Jesus is the only unchanging truth that we have in this world. That when everything else around us begins to shake and begins to shatter and begins to loosen up and fall, that is when the rock of Jesus proves its own strength. And so in this church, if we hope to have unity during this time when there's so many opportunities for division, we have to remember that we have built this rock on Jesus, that we are not united in anything else but Jesus. Number two, if we hope to have unity during this time, we are going to have to define our relationships with grace and truth. John chapter 1, verse 17 says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It is so important for us to be conveyors of truth, but truth without grace is destructive, it's arrogant, it's nasty. You never leave someone better than when you found them if all you're doing is communicating truth and yet you lack grace. I wonder how many of you have ever won an argument, but you lost a friend. My friend Joseph Barclay said, those who choose to love will always have a greater impact on history than those who are simply trying to win. Grace is that thing that you receive when you don't deserve it. And what Jesus came into this earth with was the truth about his message, but he did it full of grace. I wonder if you've ever had the experience where you were driving down the road on the freeway and some car passes you and you're driving with your kids and you're, you're upset about this car and you're so frustrated at it. And then a mile down the road, you see that they've been pulled over on the side of the road and you kind of want to roll your window down and say, yeah, right? Because that person got truth. They got caught in their crime. But have you ever then had the opposite experience where you're driving down the road and you start seeing the lights flashing behind you and the car is pulling up tight to you and it's a police car and you get pulled over and all you can hope in the middle of this experience is that the cop would give you grace. It's funny how we love when other people receive truth and yet we want grace for ourselves. Colossians chapter 4 verse 6 says, Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Don't be the type of person that just wants truth for other people and grace for yourself. Be the type of person that can extend grace to someone who has had a different life experience than you have. Number three, we have a common enemy. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. 
For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. We are not each other's enemies. We have one enemy, and it is not one another. And I know that that's really hard to remember when you're in the middle of an intense social media argument that the person that you're arguing with is actually not your enemy. Whenever I do weddings and officiate the ceremony, I always remind the young couples that when they get into conflict, not if, but when they get into conflict, that they are not at war with one another. Their spouse is not their enemy. And I think that is one of the things that we have to remember in the middle of so much of this diversity is that we are not each other's enemy. That we are for each other, we are with each other, we are part of a common purpose and a common cause. And that we ought not to be fighting against each other. Number four, if we're going to have unity in the middle of so much adversity, we've got to remember that unity is a battle. It is never easy, but it is always worth it. You step into conflict with people, not because you don't like them, but because you love them. And you know that the relationship is so valuable that it is worth addressing the conflict head on. I know a lot of people talk about upholding the value of unity and upholding the value of diversity, but when you actually live in the middle of unity and diversity, you realize that it is a very messy thing. It's a very messy thing to go to church and to be a part of a community to someone who voted differently than you. It's a very messy thing to be a part of a group of people who think differently than you do about foundational values that you have. It is not easy but it is worth the fight. At the beginning of our conversation today, we asked, is it even possible to have unity in the middle of adversity? And I'm actually convinced that it is only in adversity that you realize there is unity in your community. That without going through difficulty, without going through struggles, without battling some wars together, you really don't know whether or not there's unity in your group of people. Because it is so easy when things are going well to act like everyone likes each other, but it's when you go through the storm that all the pretense begins to fade away. All the energy of faking your emotions begins to drift and you see who people really are. When we started this church, I don't know if I would have admitted this at the time, but in reflection, I realized that we experienced a lot of adversity. In the first three months of our church, we were in three different locations. And that meant we got kicked out of our first location, we got kicked out of our second location, and then we ended up at a school that we had no intentions of being at, but we ended up there. And during that time, we had a group of leaders transition out of the church, and it was this painful process that, that I lost sleep over. I had high levels of anxiety. I was feeling overwhelmed. But at the same time, what was formed in our culture was this group of people that were committed to the cause. And they were united with one another. They were connected. They had linked arms with one another to fulfill the vision that God had placed on their heart. And even though there was adversity, we saw that God used it to form this beautiful culture in this community. And so when we ask the question, is it even possible to have unity in the middle of adversity? The answer is yes. That it's the adversity that we go through that will form the bonds of unity with one another. And I know that we are living in such 
unique and challenging times. And there are so many opportunities for us to be divided, to us, for us to have frustrations toward one another. But one of the things that has always been true about this community is that our unity was built on the hope and the truth and the grace of Jesus. And this week, I want to challenge you to be someone who is about fighting for unity in this world. So this week, when you're frustrated at someone on social media, instead of seeing this as an opportunity for division, what if we saw it as an opportunity to embrace unity, to fight for unity in our world? When you're frustrated at a family member, Instead of breaking off the relationship, what if we just took a break from the relationship in the hopes that we can be united in the future? I think even for some of us, what unity is going to look like for you is to take a stand and to enter into a conversation that you're not comfortable with and you know the person that you're talking with is not comfortable with, but you're taking a stand and solidarity and unity with other people who are fighting for something that you value too. And I think that even for some of us, the unity that we are seeking has nothing to do with the outside world, but it has to do with what is happening in your heart. That you realize that this life that you have been living is so far removed from the life that you hoped you would live. And there is disunity between what you envision and who you really are. And for so many of us, we have tried to bring ourselves to this place of purpose and meaning. And we realize that no matter how much money we make or what kind of job we have or the friendships that we have or the relationships that we have, year after year, we realize that none of those things are bringing us to this place of internal peace like we thought and hoped it would. And you're beginning to realize that maybe that thing that you have been searching for all along is really a, be, a relationship with God. And so I want to encourage you that if that is you this morning, to begin a relationship, to take a step of faith in this moment by inviting God into your story, by inviting God into the journey that you're walking through. And you know, the Bible makes it very, very clear it's not about what you know, it's not about what you do, but it really is about the condition of your heart. That a heart that longs to be in relationship with God will be in relationship with Him. The Bible says, whoever confesses with their mouth and they believe in their heart, they will be saved. And so this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to do that if that's where you're at, to take that step of faith to begin a relationship with God. And all you have to do is to pray this simple prayer. It's nothing special about the prayer. It is just a reflection of what is happening inside right now, your desire to be connected to God. And so I'm going to pray this prayer, and I want you to repeat after me in your heart. So go ahead and close your eyes wherever you're at. Bow your head and repeat after me. Dear God, thank you for loving me even when I didn't love you. Thank you for your grace in my life. Thank you for sending your son to this world as evidence of your love for this world.
God, I thank you that he sacrificed his life so that in him I could experience life. Today I want to turn from all of my sins, for everything, from everything in my life that is outside of your, your plan for me. And God, I want to begin trusting you with my life. I want to trust you with my decisions. I want to trust you with my relationships. God, would you give me the strength to follow you? In Jesus' name, amen.